SecondCityHockey.com Jonathan Taves. Commit to us. Commit to the jersey. Commit to our people here. Welcome to another episode of Musings on Madison here on the Second City Hockey Podcast Network. I'm your host, Dave Melton, site manager for all things here at Second City Hockey. And I've got my two usual line mates with me here on a little bit of an off uh, off night and off stretch for the Blackhawks. Uh, first off, it is the analytics darling of Second City Hockey, Shepard Price. Hi, I look as tired as the Blackhawks did in that third period. Yeah, I, I don't have a good follow-up for that, but yeah, all right, we'll allow it. <laughs> And then uh, Shepard's here and also with us this evening. He is the second city hockey. Well, Claudio Sanchez is to Coheed and Cambria. It is Milsovic. Oh, how the turntables. <laughs> and my hair is not that nice. No, that's that was the main source of comparison. Like I was trying to figure out which guy in the band to go. Neither, and, neither is any of my musical ability, but that's no, a different story. <laughs> that's 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 all right. It doesn't have to make sense. It's just things we're gonna say. And uh, and my my whole goal for this is to get to a band that uh, maybe one time Shepard goes, oh hey, I like those guys. Fair enough. No, nothing Shepard. Yeah, I think I think I think our I think our musical tastes are very different. You've yeah, been- yeah, because like and the the one the the latest recap that. Shepard did it was an Ariana Grande song I'm like and you told me that I'm like well all right I know who that is but uh, it's one of her like it's it's one of her most famous songs too it, yeah well all right you said tears like the headline was tears don't cry I'm like well there's a no, bullet no for my valentine song called tears, <laughs> don't, tears don't fall, fall. <laughs> <laughs> sorry I think no, me I, and Dave were on the same page on yeah this one. yeah this must be it must be a region thing Mill. Um, yeah, well, you know, it's like wearing shorts with a hoodie. It's super regiony stuff. Yeah, so so this is where we usually do like the goofy opening tangent. And uh, considering these sports things that just happened an hour ago, there is something we could dive into. But I'm too just I, – it's apathetic. I'm too apathetic to care that the Bears are going to play football with Andy Dalton as their goddamn quarterback next season. But <laughs> that mischievous laughter is a Lions fan that knows maybe Detroit will actually win a game, two games against the Bears for a change. Is there some kind of rule where only one Chicago team is allowed to be competent at a time and you have to wait your turn in line? Is the one team the White Sox? Because yeah, <laughs> yeah right it, now. It is, it's apparently the White Sox right now because I think the Cubs just got to the back of the line and then the Hawks and Bears are kind of fighting it out in the middle. And the Bulls were like up and coming for a while, but I think they've taken a step back. So yeah, I, I don't know. I mean, I've been watching shitty quarterbacks for 30 years. There's almost something comforting about it. But I thought, I mean, I just, I don't even, I, I barely, it's just, it's the same movie I've watched 300 times. So 
why, why should I, why should I be surprised and why should I care? And why should I expect anything different at this point? Tell hey, me for what it's worth. If the bulls do anything good, we can brand them together with the Soxes, Reinsdorf properties. <laughs> um, so I, I, I looked this up because I was curious about it. This would be the last thing we talk about this because, I, uh, but with Andy Dalton, his career passer rating, I think is 87.5. Do you know what the highest passer rating in Bears franchise history is out of quarterbacks that played like 15 games? That would be Cutler. It's Trubisky at like, it's like, I think 87 2. So Dalton already has the best passer rating in the history of the Bears franchise, and he hasn't played a game yet. For what it's worth, I'm not a Bears fan, so I'm not super knowledgeable. Uh, it's don't, don't start because it's, yeah. Um, I think they're heading towards a blow everything up. Uh, off season in 2022. So, um, but that's, that, that's all I really can stomach about the Bears. So let's, uh, let's get away from that topic as quickly as possible and talk about Testify. how much fun the Blackhawks have been lately. Um, Testify, but, but, Dave. Yeah, exactly. But before we get into that, I just want to let you know you can follow me on Twitter. I'm at underscore Dave Melton. Mill is at Mill182. Shepard is at Shepard Price. The main account is at 2ND City Hockey and secondcityhockey.com, all spelled out, is where you can find all of our content. Please rate, review, subscribe, follow along wherever it is you get those podcasts. And you can also email us if you're so inclined, uh, secondcityhockey at gmail.com. Questions, comments, concerns, whatever you got. And that's all spelled out as well, by the way. So, gentlemen, the thing that we wanted to discuss. And I, I messaged this in our, our group chat and it's it basically, it comes down to a question. And before I ask you guys that question, I want to give a little background to it because the thing that's been going on with the Hawks, and this is not, it's, it's happened more often in the last two to three weeks, but it's kind of been a season long problem that this article, this is directly from the athletic. These are the games the Blackhawks have had leads in and lost this season. January 26th against Nashville led two to one lost in overtime. Then against Columbus, they were up three to one, had a five to four lead, and lost six to five. Against Tampa, they were up two to nothing, lost three to two in overtime. Uh, last Sunday against Tampa, up three zero, gave up six straight goals. Saturday against Florida, scored the first goal, lost four to two. Against uh, against Florida again on Monday night, they were up three to one, lost six to three. And this tweet from Ben Pope last night is something that's kind of painful to read because I didn't realize it was this bad, but. The Blackhawks have now blown seven of the nine multi-goal leads that they've had since February 1st. And I guess the one of them that that survived was the four-goal lead against Dallas, and that was a little hairy at times. Um, and, and the other one escapes me is probably the multi-goal game against, uh, against Detroit when they won like seven to two or something. So, Shepard Mill, the question I'm bringing to you two is, what is your reaction to the fact that the Blackhawks are taking all these leads – and then promptly blowing them. Mill, after you. <laughs> you want me to go first? Yes, please. Okay, well, here's the thing. I think we can objectively say that they cannot play with a lead. Um, and yeah, that's, they're, they're proving that pretty well. And that seems like a goofy thing to say, but something that you have to do when you're developing young players is teach them how to play with a lead. And I think that the Hawks having multi-goal leads, it shows that there's something going on there. There's talent. I mean, obviously there's Kane and DeBrinckit's coming along, but they're scoring, you know, and, and they're doing okay. And some they'll, they'll have a good opening period or whatever. And then it all goes to shit. And it's just like, they cannot adjust when another team is able to figure them out. 
And it's extremely concerning because I don't think it has anything to do with experience or talent. It's all about game strategy. And, and it's like when you have a two, three, four goal lead, at least trap or park the bus. Like what the fuck? Sorry, but it's driving me insane well, to watch every night. I, I, I like, I refuse to entertain the notion of a trap just because that's boring as hockey. And I don't want to watch the Hawks trap, but there's, there's a way you can be more defensively responsible when you get a lead without like playing a prevent defense. Yeah. I'm not saying be the nineties, New Jersey devils. I just right. mean like you can be conservative and not be Yaha time. And, and I think the thing about this trend that might get lost in translation because it's happened four times in the last, I think that's the last five or six games now that it's happened, but it like, it is happening, happening more frequently of late, but this was a problem going back to when they were playing garbage teams like Nashville and Columbus and Detroit. This is not a new development. So it'd be one thing if they were jumping out to leads against good teams and the good teams were figuring them out. Like that's, it's still not good, but it's more acceptable. But they were blowing leads to Detroit, Nashville, Columbus, to shitty teams. So, well, excuse me if I'm uh, wrong on this, but didn't we all, we've all been harping on this is that regression is coming because of how they were playing. Yeah. Well, yeah, this, this goes back to all our discussions about, the possession numbers aren't any good. They're getting bailed out by goaltending in a hot power play. Like this is, this is all symptomatic of the same disease essentially is that they're not playing good five on five hockey. Um, but I want to get Shepard's uh, opinion before we go too far away from it. So Shepard, what were your, your reaction to that question about what does it mean to you that the Blackhawks are getting leads and then losing those leads? Well, you see in hockey, there's this thing called score effects where if a team builds a multi-goal lead, they are going to face a lot of traffic the other way, that the momentum swings, uh, and also the refing sort of switches too, because refs start calling, because the referees in the NHL are geared to ref a close game. They start calling more penalties for the other team who's down the multi-goal lead. Uh, and so the Blackhawks, give up the lead because they are not built defensively to uh, withstand, withstand the pressure that teams start throwing at them. And because no, they lose can withstand that many hits. Yes, Sorry, exactly. Back. And because the Blackhawks lose those goals late enough that they can't like get those penalties back and get pressure the other way, they lose games. So I, I guess, and then the, the follow-up thought is, what do they do about it? And um, I, they I have think to fire the coach. <laughs> I, that's, I was waiting to see how long it was going to take before we got to that part of the conversation, because <laughs> it feels like there is, this is, this is the part for me where like, I try to, I try not to go immediately to that conclusion, but sometimes it feels like that's where I'm just going to end up because it's not, if you have the talent to get all these leads, even against good teams, like at some point you should they, they like at some point they should be able to stop other teams as well. Like, um, like with all the defensive players that have joined the team this year, like there are a lot of young guys. Yes. But I mean, Duncan Keith's still here. Connor Murphy's still here. Calvin DeHaan's still here. So it's not like they're playing, they're icing six rookies on the blue line every night. So there's, there's more defensive talent on this roster than the Blackhawks are performing with I, I guess it feels like their their defense is not performing up to the level of their capabilities and that's when you start looking at the coach and thinking that maybe there is something wrong with either deployment or strategy or system overall 
there's something getting lost in translation that is causing the Blackhawks to falter defensively when games are important. Yeah, and I think the focus on it being with the, this group of players and Taves and Doc being out and the rookies and all that, I think you need to set that aside when you assess it from the coaching angle because this has been going on since Colleton started. Mm-hmm. With, you know, look at them versus Vegas last year in the playoffs. Like, clearly Vegas was a superior team, but he mismanaged his shifts towards the end of a game and didn't have Taves out with an open net. Like, what? Come on, like you have to know how to you know manage your team and top line I, I, John Quinville. Have, no, have yeah, well, that top was, line yeah, John Quinville yeah, in the playoffs. Exactly, and not to to yell and to get on a huge rant, but like, look, Quinville is obviously a Hall of Fame coach, but he's stubborn too. No coach is perfect. The Hawks have had to win in spite of him sometimes. I'm not going to act like he's the you know the Almighty and has never done something stupid but this is like a regular night in and night out trend and it's becoming hard to watch because you're calling it every night like okay here it comes mm-hmm. yeah and the, the other thing about this whole situation is you know i i understand that the blackhawks shifted their focus in the offseason so now they're technically rebuilding but uh mill as you said like there were two seasons before that where the blackhawks were i guess trying to win and they had there were several key moments throughout those seasons. And there's one that stands out in particular where they were right on the cusp of a playoff spot. And they, I believe it was a weekend home and home with Colorado, one in Colorado, one in Chicago. And the Blackhawks had, you know, just split those games or uh they would have been okay. If they'd won both, they would have gotten a leg up in the playoff chase. And it was in like March. It was pretty late in the season. And so this would have been the 18 to 19 season because it was not pandemic affected. And they went and they got their asses kicked in both games. And that and I remember writing something about that, that every time the Blackhawks under Colleton have had a game of kind of heightened importance, they lay an egg. It's happened every single time. And it kind of happened, you know, it's, it's happening right now. Like all these games where the Hawks are, you know, trying to, I don't know if they're measuring up is the right word, but show that they're improved from where they were at the start of the season. And like, e- even if you're focusing on long-term rebuild, like the Blackhawks, outperform those expectations. The expectations now are different than they were in mid January because they're, they've been playing better. So they're kind of, they're doing the same thing again. They're not living up to, they're not rising to the moment. And that's discouraging because the moments will only get bigger. If the Hawks improve on the ice, like the, they'll start getting to games with playoff implications, then maybe playoff games, then, you know, game four, five, and six, when you really need to bring your game, because your opponent's going to bring it as well. And they just keep laying eggs every time these situations happen. Can I just tack one thing onto that too? Go ahead. Um, You know, like you said, in the big game situation, sometimes I see people bringing up that they beat Edmonton in that, you know, playoff or whatever it was playing rounds. Edmonton obviously was garbage, but aside from that, the Hawks played 70 some odd games that year. I think before the pandemic broke out, maybe Mm -hmm. 70, 71, they went from the previous year, what you brought up of being in a playoff hunt in March to being in 12th place and would have been out of the playoffs. Yeah. I think they with were 23 Taves. of the 24 teams. Only were they 24 or, or were they worse than Montreal? I, thought, I, thought they I were think worse they were worse than Montreal. Than Montreal. And that's yeah. with Taves, with Kane, with doc, uh-huh. uh, with, with Crawford. Crawford, with Crawford carrying your team with Brandon side. Like it, you have to look at what the constant's been and it's been behind the bench. The other thing is that Joel Quinville, for all, despite all his faults, that he wouldn't play young guys. That you, it was very easy to find yourself in the in the uh, doghouse. That it was very like 
Guys like Nick Letty couldn't bust out of the third pairing. Um, despite all his faults, he knew how to sit on a lead. And Jeremy Colleton does not know how to sit on a lead. Yeah. Yeah, and it's it's the 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 just the defensive structure has never looked good nope. since like in Colleton's entire tenure. Like um it's not it feels like it may not be happening quite as much this season as it did the last two seasons. So maybe this is some area improvement. But the first two seasons, there was just this a plethora of players wide open 10 feet in the 10 feet from the net in the low slot with a golden scoring chance. It felt like it happened at least once a game, if not once a period like that. It just, it was happened every single time. It's been better this season, but now it's it's starting to pop up again. Like there was, um, I don't can't remember if it was against Tampa or Florida, but he had three guys, three Hawks behind the net and they left a slot wide open and whoever the player was Florida or Tampa, I can't remember had an easy tap and goal. So it's just there's it, it feels like we're it's it's the third season now so and we're starting to see the the movie keeps looking the same and as Mill said the character behind the bench is still there so that's where that's where all the questions go to ultimately like I I don't you know and and the other thing about it is like some of the players you're seeing like you're seeing improve you're seeing improvement from the players on the ice like Kirsch has looked good Hagel's looked really good Boquist is playing out of his mind all of a sudden Ian Mitchell's maybe taking a step back but the improvement is happening everywhere, but on defense, I guess. The individual defensemen, for the most part, especially the rookies, don't look bad. Like Ian Mitchell is looking like he's skating good. It's just, again, they find themselves getting uh, either out of position or just getting torched down the, down the sideboard because they're trying to overcompensate for, you know, this the hybrid man system. Yeah. And it's, it's again, as discussed on the Monday morning deep dish this week, like it is not user friendly. The the defensive system under Carlton is not like intuitive. Yeah, I mean, usually it's like kind of like a matchup zone where you know the the D and the forwards each have their corners, and then the center just kind of roams in the middle, picking up wherever the opposing center is. And usually, there's at most times the players are relatively close to those areas. With this man to man system that they're using now, it just seems like. It just seems like chaos. It, like you never know where a given player is going to be, and I think that probably also leads to uh, issues with getting the puck out of their own end because Absolutely. you don't know. It, it's it's a very reactive system, and I think that's what I'm starting to dislike about it the most is that it lets the opposing team dictate where your players are going to be instead of you dictating. Well, I mean, I mean, you can't really dictate the coverage as much on the defensive side, but it seems like they're entirely at the mercy of where their opponents go. And I don't know if that's necessarily the best type of system for any level of hockey, especially this one. Yeah, no, definitely not. And also too, like with some of the guys, you know, I'm, and I'm not going to get into this rabbit hole, but like, so Dorov likes to chase hits and mm-hmm. you know, every now and then you can create a turnover a la Dave Boland. That's fine. But like, if you chase a hit, even if you get your man and then you're out of position and the, he kicks the puck out, goodbye, you know, open net. And I think the other thing is it's not, it's never just one guy. Like Zadorov is a frequent uh, violator of the rules of, of the defense that uh, of the structure that they're supposed to have. But I mean, we've seen Keith blow assignments. We've seen, oh, uh, yeah. you know, Ford's screw up when they're trying to switch on covering uh, uh, Ford's that circle up high and are interchange with opposing D and the, they fuck up the switch. And then a Ford's wide open, like Stamkos uh, got, I think that was like the first or second game of the season where he was in the high slot with nobody within 20 feet of him, which is a problem. But like there's, 
there's always it just there, there's always some mistake happening somewhere. So either it just seems like the message isn't getting through or the system is flawed or whatever, but it's just not getting from the uh, the textbook onto the ice. There's some disconnect between those two things. And that's, I think that's a lot of the problems you're seeing with them defensively. Well, they don't break up anything at the blue line. They sit back and let the other team yes. walk in. Like there's a red carpet down the slot. And um, and I can't remember, Mill, if you were talking about that or if it, yeah, Shepard, did you guys talk about it on the Monday deep dish? Yeah, LBR I remember brought it up. That, okay, I remember it, like it's so easy to transition to our into the the Blackhawks uh, D zone. Yeah, because this this was the one thing that I remember the Hawks being so good at again under Quenville, which I I well we'll come back to this, but like the I hate it's it probably unfair to make all these Ken, Quenville Carlton comparisons because of their difference in coaching experience, but it's also the guy he replaced. So that's just the that's that card you're dealt, dude. That sucks, but that's what you're getting. Um, but anyway, what, like the one thing the Hawks were so good at would, you know, if a player was skating through the neutral zone, an opponent was skating through the neutral zone, you'd have back pressure from a forward, and then you'd have pressure in front of them from a defenseman, and they just kind of pinch them off, ride them into the wall, force them to dump it in behind the net, and then the other defenseman would retrieve it, and then the Hawks would have the puck back. But as you're saying now, like, it's just open season in the Hawks' neutral zone. Like, there's never, it never seems like a challenge to gain entry into the Hawks' end. Which that would be like, and that's one thing that I believe Zadorov was known for when he like it was actually one of his traits was they said he's really well, good at denying zone entry, and that's the thing is like Zadorov's stick isn't that bad. You see it when he's playing on the penalty kill because he's staying in a zone and playing mm-hmm. his position, but he's being set up for failure. I'm not trying to harp on the guy. Like yeah, he's not you know a top defenseman, but he could mm-hmm. play on the bottom six if he's getting sheltered zone starts and the defensive system works for him. It's just, it does, it feels more and more like round pegs and square holes. Totally. And so I, and, and there is, I know how you fix that, but like, I think the reality of the situation is I, I don't see any coaching change happening this season. Like unless they completely right. bottom out over the next two months, and then there's going to be a line of people at the United Center ready to fire them. So, well, here's the thing I'm going to say is as much as my, dismay about Colleton might be stemmed from a lot of what's happened this year. Mine goes back for three seasons now. (laughs) However, in a 56 game season, I don't think it's entirely fair to judge them just on 56 games, the players or the coaches, because it is a short season. Um, But I mean, if we have this kind of thing happen over 82 games, we can really confidently go, Oh, there's talent here and they're not making adjustments and their defensive system sucks. Like 82 games, they're going to see every team, not the same seven. Right. And and that's yeah, it's it's very challenging. Like I saw that tweet that was going around all day yesterday, talking about how uh, Florida, Carolina, and Tampa are like I think the top three teams in the league right now by point percentage. Yep. Mm-hmm. And that just more tells you how shitty the rest of the division is. Like the Nashville, Columbus, and Detroit to the bottom are. I don't know. I know. I believe those three teams are good. Don't get me wrong. I just. I don't know how good they are because they're only playing the same seven teams for or same eight teams for the next uh, two more months. Same seven teams. And yeah, Carlton's not going to get fired when NHL.com still has him as like the third best coach in terms of odds in the Jack Adams. Oh yeah. Race. I'm sure he's still in that race too. I keep, they, yeah. they were a team that was supposed to suck. And yeah, I mean the Jack Adams, as I think you've mentioned in our Slack chat several times, Shepard, like, the Jack Adams is usually you know, the war that goes to the coach that just happened to find the hot goalie for a season. But yeah, 
you know, and and they and there's a bad track record of those guys getting fired in the short term future after they win the trophy. So, um, you know, you know what the other thing that I wanted to bring up real quick is because we were talking about the talent discrepancy or the theory of that. Granted, Corey Crawford was a monster, but in the 15 final, they won that with like four defensemen. Mm-hmm. Like they had Kyle Comiskey and David Runblad and like a TVR off a broken leg were like their, you know, five, six, seven. Yeah, because after after Roosevelt's foot got Bro. turned around, he was <laughs> poor Roosevelt. Yeah, so that was yeah. really nasty. I mean, they, yeah, <laughs> and then Kimo Timonen didn't work yeah. out. But no. yeah, I mean, Timonen was like he got a game or two, whatever, to to get him on the cup, and that's fine. But like he was coming off blood clots, and he was like forty one years old. Yeah, yeah, exactly. I mean, it's not his fault. I mean, no, no, yeah. yeah, not at all. It was just it was it was it was kind of they took a flyer on a guy hoping he would recover from missing a year of hockey, and he didn't. Cause but but like when you have a coach who can get away with winning a final with fucking Kyle Run or Kyle Comiskey and David Runblad, but like Runblad. give give me a yeah, might as well be Kyle Runblad, Donald Runblad, yeah. Jason Run. What the, who cares? It sucked. Yeah, I mean, yeah, there's. I I think like I I look at Florida like I go up and down the roster. I mean, they've got some really good players. Don't get me wrong. Like they got Sasha Barkov, Huberto. Uh, Ekblad on the blue line, like they've got some really good players, but that roster doesn't like strike fear into me when I look at it. Like I, I don't think, and and the Hawks have a Hall of Famer playing in his and probably the best hockey of his life in Kane. DeBrinket's turning into a star in front of our eyes. Um, you know, I know their center depth is terrible right now, but they still got you know Keith Murphy on the blue line. Boquist is emerging, so it's not like the Hawks' cupboard is completely bare. And honestly, the Hawks might have the best goalie out of that those two rosters. Yeah, has kind of gone down the tubes. Yeah, although I guess he's putting it together lately. And yes. I think that was he was always a late starter every season anyway. So maybe it just it's it's taken till March this year. But yeah, but, but like his numbers they, I think are better than Drager's. Who's really scared of like, you know, I know they have guys like Strawman and Hornquist. They're like a hundred years old though at this point. Yeah. You're not you're it's, not afraid of Mason Marchman? He's played 15 games, and people are yeah. trying to tell me that there's a talent discrepancy. I, I am scared of Mason Marchant, but it's not because of his hockey skills. It's because I know who his dad was, and I'm sure he'd beat the shit out of anybody that tried to fight him. <laughs> Just a hunch. More garbage sons. Beautiful. <laughs> yeah, I mean, hey, I, not, I'm not, I, I don't know what kind of hockey player he's going to be, but if uh, anybody named Marchment that plays hockey is going to be in a fight, my money's on him. So, so there's that. Um, but, yeah, I don't think – it's almost getting to the point with the Hawks and we'll, we'll watch, we'll see how this next few weeks go. I'm not going to reach this conclusion now because I think it's too early to do that, but we like the biggest concern we had about this team in the start of the season was goaltending and the blue line. And there are some signs there that those players are better. Well, the goaltending for sure is miles ahead of where we thought it would be. And even some of the guys on the blue line specifically, again, Adam Boquist is playing better than we initially thought. So at some point, with the raising of the talent that uh, of what the Blackhawks are putting on the ice each night, that's going to raise expectations. And then eventually we can get to a point to where we can look around at this team and go, are they playing as well as they should be? Cause not, they're getting the goaltending that we didn't think they were going to have. The blue line's been better. The, and Patrick Kane, still Patrick Kane. So that that's not a last place roster anymore as it looked back in December. So 
Yeah, and if you can get like Lankanen and Subban to redirect their rebounds and get a little bit better rebound control, that's really going to help fill some some holes. But the problem is the defensive system doesn't allow for them to redirect those to them. Right, right, and and that's where you know if you you're analyzing the roster in a different way now than you were in December, and if if you start to think maybe this team's underperforming, you can start looking into why, and that's again, you go down the coaching and the system rabbit hole. So yes, sir. It's, <laughs> yeah. It's, I think I'm, I'm running out of things to say. Just, yeah. Like, I mean, it's, uh, I don't want to be, well, I, I almost said, I don't want to be too doom and gloom, but the last, like the last two games against Florida were really deflating and yeah, as deflating I mean, as any games they've had this season, I think. They've had a bad string of games here. Yeah. And like, and we knew, like we knew it was going to be tough. I, I don't think anybody expected that. I think the game that really hurt was that Tuesday night one against Dallas. Well, yep. Kane's thousandth game when they just got their asses handed to him. Well, the Thursday game too. I'll yeah. never forget that Thursday game. There's no way any team should ever win that. That shooting percentage was remarkable. Oh, you you mean 50% is not sustainable? I mean, like, Luke look Oakland at... did not make a save at five-on-five five hockey. Hey, he played one, two periods. One or two saves, and the Hawks give that game away in the third. Yeah. Yeah, and it was it was four to nothing. They were and they tried biffing it a little bit. So um it's just it's it's like all the good feelings you had about this team are kind of they're not gone away, but they're starting to dissipate. And I don't know how much you're gonna learn about this team if they you know get their asses kicked for another two weeks and then beat up on Nashville, Columbus, and Detroit in April and make the playoffs and then probably lose to Tampa in a um, you know, maybe make Sweet. it five games. But hey, ah. they beat they beat Vegas for one. So, um, I I'm not I'm I'm not going to sit here and advocate for tanking because I hate tanking. But I don't know how much encouragement you're going to get when um, it would just be they would do in April what they did in February, which is fatten up against bad teams, and then but pr- prove that they're completely incapable of beating any of the good teams, and then you are you know sentenced to a seven and eight seed. But again, it it is a weird season, so I don't know. It's just I think a weird we're going to know more next season. Yeah, and not to cut you off, but I'll just say we talked about you know this is not the year for this, but there are teams who are in position where they can make a run for a final, and how many of them change the coach right before the season or midway, and they either go to the final or win. Pittsburgh, Dallas, Vegas, first year they went, um, and then there's turnover with these coaches too. Mm-hmm. it's a tough job. So it's, it's, you know, it's not that you, sh- you know, people are sticking up for Colleton. That's fine. If you like him, he's probably a nice guy, but like, you gotta get the results. Yeah. It's a results-based business. It's the, it's the harshest business that I think exists. Um, the job security doesn't exist. So you got to win. Yep. And um, the Blackhawks by their own performance have raised their own expectations. And I think they raise the expectations for everyone outside. So you know, we can say it's still a rebuild and all that, but it's still um, the bars. There's they they move the ball higher themselves because they played better, and now now they're falling short of their own standard. So uh, hopefully they figure that out quickly because that's uh, it's not great. Yes. Well, I, I think that's enough doom and gloom. So uh, we're gonna take a break and come back on the other side of this timeout and uh, talk about the pandemic. <laughs> because 
we needed some really uplifting things, but actually there's, there's a, I had an event last week that I was at that I wanted to touch on uh, just and kind of tie it to hockey and the pandemic and all this weirdness that we're dealing with and fingers crossed that might be going away soon. So I'll come back on the other side of timeout and listen to all of that because I think it'll be more enjoyable than what we just talked about. Welcome back to Musings on Madison. And as we promised before the break, wanted to dive into kind of reflections on, because this is, it's uh, now a few days after it, but it was, this is right around the one year anniversary of the start of the pandemic, or I shouldn't say the start of the pandemic. It's when, it's when its effect hit sports the night. It was that Wednesday night, the Hawks played the Sharks. And I remember I was watching that and I think I had, I was scrolling Twitter and saw the video of uh, Rudy Gobert from the Utah Jazz had tested positive and a trainer came sprinting out of the locker room and they stopped the game and then NBA games started getting canceled I think that night and then like that Thursday and Friday just sports stopped completely uh, except for actually for me kind of because uh, I'm, I, I'm sure Mill and Shepard are aware of this I don't know how many of the listeners are but I, I cover high school sports for a suburban newspaper in northwest Indiana and around it was this time last year I went to the gymnastic state finals in Indiana. It was down at uh, Ball State in Muncie um, in their main gym. And that was the first event that I attended. Uh, they only let media in and team and coaches and meet personnel. So there were no fans in the building. And yeah, I know high school gymnastics, it's not the most attended event in the world, but there's usually several hundred people there. And it was the that was the ground zero moment for me of like, Oh shit, it's stuff's about to get weird because it was so odd to be in a building where there's a state competition happening and there was no noise whatsoever. Like even like the chatter between people seemed like it wasn't happening. And I remember several of the gymnasts I interviewed afterwards said it felt like a practice, not even a game. And it was a state meet. Um, and I, I bring that up because last Saturday I was back at the same event during the it was actually during the Hawks Panthers game on Saturday night. So I missed most of it, but or I missed most of the Hawks game, not the meet as I was covering the meet. <laughs> but anyway, um, but there were fans back in the building and they had, and there, there was something comforting about that of coming back to a meet that was so jarring of an experience to not have uh, fans there and to come back this year. And there were fans there, everyone was masked up socially distant and all that, but just having the noise again, was so pleasant. And I, I don't think I realized how much I missed it just for that one particular event. Cause there's a few other things I've still been covering where fans are limited. Like I was at the wrestling state finals this year, which is in Indianapolis and in the stadium where the Pacers play. And they usually pack that thing to the ceiling. And there was maybe, maybe a thousand people there. I think it was the, it was restricted well below that number. So all of this is to say that I've been watching sports. I'm, I'm glad they came back. Um, I hope everything continues to operate in a safe manner, but I still cannot get into sports as much until fans are back in full capacity. I don't want to make it sound like I'm advocating for that to happen tomorrow because it needs to not happen until it's safe for everything to do. But it still feels so weird to be watching a Blackhawks game and they score a goal and you hear the horn and you don't hear the crowd behind it. Like the the intro that Mill put together that plays before these podcasts has so many crowd eruption moments. And I cannot, like that's still an ever-present absence for me. And until we get those back, I feel like I still can't enjoy sports as much as I used to. 
uh, Mill Shepard. I don't know what your guys' thoughts are, but um, this is, I saw a lot of one-year reflections about how the pandemic's affected. And I guess through a sports lens, it's still, still an ever-present thing for me. I don't know about you guys. Yeah. So like the two sports-ish things I watch really are hockey and wrestling. And wrestling is about to see their first fans back in the building at uh, WrestleMania. In now you're talking about WWE style. Yeah. yeah. The okay. real yeah. stuff, Dave. I got three kids I'm covering in the uh, college wrestling national championships. This week, and I probably watched that more than March Madness. So how Fair dare much. you, sir? Oh, I'm, I'm super excited for March Madness. But all the ones we can go about that off air. Um, yeah. But yeah, like maybe it's because I'm watching Vegas and Vegas has fans in the back in the building. They had like 3000 plus last last night. But like, yeah, it it it's missing fans in general at Blackhawks games is huge. And hockey, like even with like the 3000 fans there, they're still, it's, it's like the, the giant tarp ads over the seats are still noticeable and all the empty seats are noticeable. Like every time I see these smattering of people, I'm like, why is this game so shitty? Where did all the fans go? Like, it reminds me of watching a bad preseason game when it's like 25% capacity because nobody cares. And it's just hockey is uh, I think across the board, I think most people will say that the in-person experience Hockey translates better than just about any sport out there. It's the all the noises that you hear when you're at a hockey game. And, and the fans are a huge part of that. And the, the atmosphere and the energy inside the building when it's full for a good game is unmatched. So yeah. not having like even if there's you know a couple thousand fans, it does it's still there's still something missing for me, at least. Right. No, and I cover and between Vegas and Chicago. Between Vegas and Chicago, I cover two of the probably the biggest hockey markets. So even the preseason games in like regular years are bigger than the 3000 people who've been in stands. Yeah. For games. Mill, what about you? Um, yeah. I mean, that's like, like everybody else, like my regular everyday life changed a lot, especially because I play music. So we haven't been able to play uh, shows or like travel or anything. Right. Um, which is super, like, it's a bummer because even if I'm just playing a club and there's like one or 200 people there, that's still like a lot of fun and oh, it's obviously money. And, uh, <laughs> whatever it's like part of life but um also too it's like i go to a lot of games and i miss going but then even on tv and i know i'm a wrestling fan too like shepherd said it's like when they pump in crowd noise it doesn't feel authentic you could tell it's staged and yeah there's not that energy and for me it's like look hawks fans we're all weird we all are different we all have our own opinions whatever but we can agree that like when you're at the united center and something big happens you can feel it like it shakes mm-hmm. the building it's the best building. It's so loud hockey. And, you know, I mean, I'm sure being, there's plenty of good buildings, but like being in person at a hockey game at an NHL level. And it's weird. Cause like I watch every team, I have the package and some teams like how the Hawks used to be, will only fill halfway, but for, for the most part, hockey really packs the building. It's not like baseball or something like that, where there's some teams who can't sell at all. So yeah. you're so used. It's like, we're spoiled. Yeah. Yeah, I mean so the I majority of it. the majority of teams, like even the bad teams in Canada, they still sell out or still get good crowds because it's hockey in Canada. So they're gonna go to the games just like a lot of the NFL stadiums for the most part are still yeah. full on Sundays, even when the teams suck out loud. You can't even get into uh, to what is it, ACC called now, whatever they oh, renamed it, Toronto Stadium. Yeah. yeah, yeah, you can't even get in there. I I was trying to go and it was like a hundred dollars in the no alcohol section, and I'm just like, wow, that's a thing that exists. <laughs> Yeah. So but yeah, it's um it's I I long for the day when we can get full buildings everywhere. And I don't know 
don't know when that's going to happen. Um, like I, I've, I've tried entertaining notions of maybe like the Stanley cup final this year gets full fans, but I mean, who knows? I I'm, I'm not a, I'm not a scientist of any kind. So I have no idea. Um, I, I guess the, 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 the hope I have is like maybe next season you get, you get 41 games at the United center with full fans in attendance. But I, that's just hope really. That's all. Again, that's all I've got. Yeah. Cause that's, I think that's what the NHL hopes too. Cause again, yes. next season, Seattle shows up mm-hmm. uh, ready to, ready to play. So. Yeah. So um, I, I, I guess in short, uh, go get your goddamn vaccines. So a, so we can watch hockey and B so that they lower the age requirement down to my and Mills age. So we can go get them too. I actually, cause of the work I do that I, won't bring up on here. I was lucky enough to get my first one. Oh, good for you. Um, but uh, my doctor said after you get the second one, in about two weeks, he said, really, you should be okay. Well, there you go. That's so hopefully if he can, everybody can get their vaccine so we, everybody can get them, then we can go to games. and Yeah. Uh, I'll buy I mean, you the nachos, Dave. <laughs> I'm like, dude, Section 308, Ironworks. I'm going right yep. for the steak sandwich. I, I, I can't some wait. Kettle chips. Oh, man. Yes, sir. Iron I haven't even eaten dinner spot. yet. We shouldn't. This is dangerous to talk about right oh, now. I'm going to food takes. So, <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, before we get into the food take, we did have one question. I was kind of late in soliciting them from our Second City Hockey commentariat. So, uh, apologies for not doing that sooner. So, we only got one. It's Shy Dynasty twenty three wanted to know: Is it possible we see Reichel in a Hawks uniform at the start of next season? And the short answer is yes. Uh, and I will let Shepard and Mill, if either one of you guys want to elaborate, because he's he's playing pretty well over in Germany right now. And I think the the timeline in him is moving up quickly. Uh, Shepard, if you got something, you're more of a, a prospects guy than I am. Yeah, he looks like he's been playing 1C with his with Ice Bear in Berlin, which is his DEL club. But it's the DEL is the, is the thing to pay attention to there. It's one of the lower leagues in Europe. My expectations are that if he does come to North America next season, that's not a guarantee, but it, it's probably what's going to happen. He'll probably play a season with Rockford. He'll take the, uh, what Adam Boquist was supposed to do route. Um, and, and he'll probably suit up uh, the 2022 season. Yeah, it's, it's certainly within the realm of possibility. If he impresses out of camp, then yeah. I think for sure. It yeah. seems, it uh, seems a lot more possible now than it was at the start of the season because of how well he's played in Germany. Um, but still, still a lot of that season to go in Germany, still a lot of, of time between now and the next NHL season. So who knows what will happen, but yeah, it's uh, it's certainly in the realm of possibility, whether or not it will happen, flip a coin because that's the best answer you're probably going to get. Shout out Germany, baby. <laughs> that's all I got. <laughs> I mean, I, I guess sometimes it's okay to shout out Germany. Depends on the topic. Um, yeah, contextually, <laughs> shout, out, shout, out, shout out Germany ice hockey. There you go. Okay, that's better. Um, but yeah, I so I think that'll do it for uh, those. That's the only question that I saw. So if I missed one, apologies, and I'll ask before uh, two hours before we record next time. But uh, we're pretty much to the end of the show. So, Mill, it's food take time, and the floor is yours. All right. So, I have a couple things on my mind, and I'm going to go with a different direction. I get weirded out when people disagree with me but i think that breakfast food shouldn't really be a category it should be a regular food all the time like you should be able to have eggs and bacon or whatever breakfast categories for lunch or dinner and it shouldn't be an issue 
Do you guys, I, I don't know if you guys are big breakfast people for oh, me, I'm like team breakfast all day. Like I, I have like, I usually eat like eggs like three to four days a week for breakfast. So yeah, that's how I am. And I think it's weird that like, especially if you go to like, this is a bad example of good. It's not good food, but like if you go to McDonald's, there's some stuff that you can't get throughout the day. And it's like, well, what if I want a McGriddle? I don't want like a whatever, you know what I mean? Like it, it's, it's weird to me that it's like eggs have been like just stuck in the corner of like where your breakfast food or, so, or to bake with. I mean, if, if the take is that breakfast food should not be reserved for breakfast hours, I'm absolutely on board with that. There's that's part. I would love to know how that got, how that became a thing. Yeah. That's my, that's my take is like, it shouldn't be restricted to only breakfast. Yeah. I mean, breakfast for dinner is one of like the best things. And I remember going like this, the, Back in school days, uh, especially college, breakfast for like lunch and dinner nights were always the best. Yeah, and like even like on a on a really lighter note, like one of the easier things if you need a snack before like like late at night, one of the easier things for your body to digest is cereal. So you can have a bowl of cereal as like a later night snack, and it's not that bad for you as long as it's not bad cereal. Yeah, so like maybe, don't maybe don't do that with Captain Crunch. Aren't the best. No, I mean they are technically they are the best, but. <laughs> Thank God they brought those back. Yeah, I mean, I have, I have no disagreements at all. Like, I, I am a, a major fan of breakfast food. There's, like, every year in or near my birthday, I try to go get a good, just solid breakfast griddle somewhere because I find few things more satisfying at the start of the day than a really good breakfast. Oh, yeah. Yes, sir. You mean, and by breakfast griddle, do you mean, like, the thing where they, they you put, it, put it out in like a pan and it's like eggs and hash browns and like a meat yeah. and like a cheese. Yeah. Oh yeah. That's just, what I'm having for dinner. I mean, I, I haven't really tried making it myself. Maybe I should try and do that sometime, but just going to any, any place like um, there's like round the clocks all over Northwest Indiana are really good to go to. And there's a few, um, a couple Sophia's house of pancakes places that are just amazing breakfast dishes. Uh, whatever's on the menus. Outstanding. Um, and I kind of want to go get breakfast tomorrow morning now after this conversation. So I make a sandwich called the Canadian destroyer that <laughs> where you take, uh, you can take a bagel or toast and then I use like fake bacon, but obviously people are going to eat real bacon. And then you put eggs, sunny side up hot sauce, and then you put two slices of Swiss cheese and maple syrup. Sounds delightful. It's like actually insane. So shout out breakfast. Yeah. All right. And, uh, our uh, second city hockey stamp of approval. Bre- we give thumbs up to breakfast. <laughs> that was not a controversial take at all, but I no, have to- you know what? It, they don't always have to be controversial. Um, and I, maybe I'm just saying that because of my one take about desserts are good, but <laughs> <laughs> legendary. <laughs> um, uh, well, uh, I think, I think that's going to pretty much wrap up uh, everything I had on my, uh, my notepad to talk about anything else, gentlemen. Uh, let's not blow a lead this week. Well, you say that <laughs> they would have to develop a lead against Tampa. Oh, they well, have. They, did. they have. And they gave up six goals in a row. <laughs> Tampa's been in second gear. I've been watching them lately, and even yeah. against a depleted Nashville team, they've been toying with them. They're just like, yeah, whatever. Yeah, I Let's think see. they learned from the year they got swept by Columbus. Learn, learn how to kind of get your lead in the regular season, coast and uh, coast through the back half of it, so you got plenty in the tank once you get to the postseason. Yeah, they yeah. pulled the 90s Red Wings where they were awesome and then got swept, which is awesome if it's Detroit, but 
Oh, those are and they got they got swept by the Ducks in the two thousands at some point too, and that was, oh, that was like the the one time I actually enjoyed the the Ducks. <laughs> yeah, when they won the when they still wore purple. Yeah. The thing about the Tampa Bay Lightning is that they're they're in second gear and they're playing with teams and they're still point zero zero nine at pers- uh, per, uh, percentage points out of the out of the President's Cup race. Yeah, because they're that's what happens when you're good. Also, uh, you say all that, but Tampa did lose four to one to Nashville in their last game. So yeah, but that's what I said. They're effing the dog. <laughs> like they then, just don't care. So the yeah. Hawks might, the Hawks might, you know, be able to win, but again, just don't blow the lead. Well, I guess, I guess we'll find out if they can do that. Cause that's, uh, I, I think if the Hawks, you know, the last two months of the season, if they prove they can hold a lead consistently, then I'll really start to feel good about the direction this team is going. But that's, that's, uh, that's where I'm drawing my line in the sand is, this is this needs to happen. You, they need to prove this this season, and then I'll feel better about them um, because uh, that's that's their big hurdle at the moment. Um, but yeah, oh, one one final note: uh, play Malcolm Subban in the next two games against Florida. He's the only goaltender who has not gone against Florida, and they've not won. You might as well hey, give him yeah, a shot. You know, well. if he doesn't exactly. work, call up Matt Tompkins. What the fuck? Let's who cares? <laughs> not I. <laughs> Yeah, uh, maybe someone will beat Florida. I don't know. I, I didn't expect the Florida Panthers to be the team that the Hawks were winless against at this point in the season. It's poetic. It is. Yeah, oh well. Um, but yeah, that's going to do it for this episode. Amusing's on Madison. Uh, thank you very much for listening. You can follow us along at Twitter. I'm at underscore Dave Melton. Mills at Mill182. Shepherds at Shepherd Price. 2ND City Hockey is the main account. Uh, secondcityhockey.com is the place where you can find all of our written content previews, recaps, articles, everything in between. They're all there. Um, you can email us at secondcityhockey at gmail.com. And then this podcast will be coming out every week and there are some more deep dishes are on their way. They're cooking in the oven. And they'll be popping out on Mondays at some point throughout the rest of the season. And uh, yeah, I think that'll do it for everything. Uh, rate, review, subscribe, wherever it is you get your podcast. Any five stars, or re- any yeah, five star reviews we can get would be much appreciated. Uh, but thank you to Mel. Thank you to Shepard. Thank you for listening. And as always, go Hawks.